from the authors of Author Masterminds. This is Mysterious. Mystery surrounds us every day. Join us and listen to true stories of mystery, from human behavior to nature and the physical environment to paranormal experiences. The stories are true, even if we can't explain them. No saga of the Alaska Gold Rush would be complete without a touch of the mysterious. Every rush has its eerie events, and the Alaska Gold Rush is no exception. Perhaps the most perplexing incident of that era is the saga of the Clara Nevada. Here is a tale of greed, robbery, and murder, along with a ghostly revisitation. But it was more than that. It is also one of the largest successful robberies in American history. And it is the third largest mass murders in American history, surpassed only by the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995 and the 9-11 attack on the World Trade Center. How you doing? This is Steve Levi, the master of the impossible crimes, and I'm here today, courtesy of the Readers and Writers Book Club, to read you a mysterious story, which happens to be true. This is Alaska's ghost ship, the Clara Nevada. Hardly noteworthy in life, in death, the Clara Nevada has become immortal. She was built in 1872 as a survey vessel for the United States Coast Guard and Geodetic Survey, the USGS. Originally named the Hassler in honor of Ferdinand Hassler, the first superintendent of the USGS, the ship plied the waters of Alaska surveying the coastline for more than two decades. Then, when her usefulness had been extinguished, she was condemned. In the normal course of events, she would have been reduced to scrap and recycled into another steamship, but in 1897, gold had been discovered along the Klondike River, and before the Hassler could be destroyed, she was purchased for $15,700 by the Pacific and Alaska Transportation Company. Based in Oregon, the Pacific and Alaska Transportation Company was one of the many rapidly forming companies that were taking advantage of the sudden demand for transportation to the gold fields of the north. Marine transportation between the Pacific Northwest and the twin cities of Skagway and Dyea at the top of the Lynn Canal was the perfect business opportunity for entrepreneurs with ice water in their veins. Passengers going north were those who could afford to pay for their passage in cash. Coming south, the cargo would be Argonauts returning home laden with tens of thousands of dollars in gold dust and nuggets. Men and women who could pay for their passage in cash. If they couldn't pay, they couldn't get on board. As the owner of the Pacific and Alaska Transportation Company viewed it, their ships would be filled both ways with customers paying cash. The maiden voyage of the Clara Nevada was not fated to be without incident. She collided with the revenue cutter Grant as she was backing out of her berth in Seattle. And upon arrival in Port Townsend the next day, she rammed the dock and damaged her bowsprit. It was her return south, however, that placed the Clara Nevada in the history books. Leaving Dyea on February 5, 1898, on a proverbial dark and stormy night, she headed south into the Lynn Canal. What happened next is a master of speculation. 
A witness on the wharf at Seward City, now named Comet, related that he had seen a ship on fire near Elder Rock, now a lighthouse, and suddenly there had been an orange fireball in the water. Then all went black. He assumed that his ship had exploded. There was a gale of near hurricane force blasting down the Lynn Canal at night, and thus it was impossible for any craft to reach the site of the fireball. A week later, the steamer Rustler out of Juneau reported a wreck on the reef just outside of Eldred Rock. As only the spars could be seen above the water at low tide, there was no way of positively identifying the wreck. The Rustler later recovered one body, identified that as the Clara Nevada's Purser George Foster Beck. The identification of the body, combined with the fact that the Clara Nevada never made port again, led officials to the conclusion that the wreck in the shallow waters off Eldred Rock was that of the Clara Nevada. No one knew for sure how many people had perished in the disaster. In the wreck report, the president of the Pacific and Alaska Transportation Company stated that he had no knowledge of who was on board, as the passenger list had been lost with the purser. This was not it should be added unusual. This is the beginning of a gold rush, and the emphasis was on making money, not keeping record. Estimates of the dead ran from as low as 65 to as high as 165. It didn't take long for recriminations to begin. Federal investigators re-examined the collision between the Clara Nevada and the revenue cutter Grant, while at the time the accident was considered no more than a, an embarrassment to the captain on his maiden voyage. Later, after the Clara Nevada was wrecked, it was assumed to be proof positive of the captain's incompetence. It was also revealed that the engine room telegraph cable had been inoperable prior to the incident and that communication wires had been broken and probably not repaired prior to the incident at the Port Townsend dock. Passengers who had taken the Clara Nevada between Seattle and Alaska the trip before the ship went down were questioned, and many of them did not have kind words for either the ship or the crew. Some claimed the crew was incompetent, intoxicated, or both, and the ship unseaworthy. One of the passengers, Charles Jones of Dallas, reported that, quote, I was afraid the Claire Nevada would be wrecked from the time she left Seattle until Skagway was reached. We smashed into the revenue cutter Grant when we were backing out of Yesler's dock. We rammed into almost every wharf at which we tried to land. We blew out three boiler flues. We floundered around in rough waters until all the passengers were scared almost to death. We witnessed intoxication among the officers and heard them cursing each other until it was sickening. The Clara Nevada also became the cornerstone of a political battle as well. The vitriolic Colonel Alden J. Blethen of the Seattle Times, a populist newspaper, tried to use the Clara Nevada incident to attack the Steamboat Inspection Service as a means of embarrassing the Republican administration of the governor of Washington. Though the attack was politically motivated, his facts were accurate. Many in the shipping business were tarnishing the good name of Seattle, as Blethen had charged. And now the city was acquiring a reputation as, quote, a haven for decrepit and unsafe ships, unquote, and businessmen who were more interested in profits than human lives. The flood of humanity to the gold fields seemed to bring out the wolf in some maritime companies, and more disasters were destined to follow the Clara Nevada, Blethen predicted. The New York Times clearly felt the same way when it editorialized that the Clara Nevada incident, quote, 
simply emphasizes the conditions that prevail in northern water. Ships of all sorts and conditions are being pressed into service to carry crowds to the gold fields, unquote. Charges produced countercharges which generated further insinuations of misconduct and incompetence. On March 5th, the Seattle Times went so far as to attack the steamboat inspector saying, quote, they should decorate the end of an elevated rope, unquote. Since witnesses had related seeing a fireball, it was generally assumed that dynamite was being transported with the passengers, a clear violation of good sense, not to mention maritime law. The controversy only ended in August of 1898 when the conclusion was reached that the Clara Nevada had caught fire and during the frantic fight to keep the flames from where the dynamite was soared, the crew had lost control of the ship. The storm drove the vessel up on the reef of Eldred Rock broadside on where the ship was split open. The primary evidence for the fire theory was that fire hoses had been found on the sunken ship's deck and hoses were attached to the hydrants and coupled to the pumps. As the flow of Argonauts going north grew from a trickle to a river to a flood, the number of maritime sinkings rose. Before the end of 1898, 16 ships had gone to the bottom of the inside passage. Then the recriminations finally faded. The Clara Nevada became just another ship lost at sea. It appeared that the book was finally closed on the disaster. Uh, let me take a short break. Mysterious podcasts are sponsored by Author Masterminds and Readers and Writers Book Club. We invite you to join the club. You can chat with Author Masterminds. You can read content pieces and serialized books. And you can buy books at 50% off the list price. Please check Mysterious Show Notes for links to the book club and Author Masterminds. What was singular about the Clare Nevada was not so much the ship's death, but its revivication. Ten years later, almost to the day, another hurricane force boiled the waters of Lynn Canal. Ships scattered for cover in the bays and bights, and on Eldred Rock, the lighthouse keeper could feel the earth shifting beneath the tower. Though it was almost brand new, built in 1902, the structure shook violently. All night long, the wind screamed as it powered its way south. Waves rose to staggering heights and threatened to sweep over the Smile Island. It was not until the next morning that the wind died and the waves settled. Only then did the lighthouse keeper venture outside. And what a sight he saw. There on the pinnacle of the Northern Island was the Clara Nevada, high and dry. And there were bones of her late crew and passengers scattered all over the beach. The storm had dragged the ship from its watery grave. The next night, the storm took the ship back. But the story of the Clare Nevada continued, and Alice in Wonderland noted, curiouser and curiouser. Scrambling the chronology, in June of 1916, 18 years after the Clare Nevada had gone down, Alaskan hard hat diver C.F. Stagger spent two days on the wreck. In addition to cutting and farming the kelp that had entombed the vessel, he salvaged about half a ton of copper and brass. Though he could not make it below decks, he was positive that the vessel had not caught on fire, as was generally supposed, and the wreck was caused by something else, most likely a submerged rock. It's also interesting to note that the wreckers' conclusion contradicted that of the witnesses who saw the fireball. 
Careful examination of the fireball theory, however, revealed some other flaws. While it would be reasonable for a ship to be transporting dynamite north to a boomtown, it is hard to believe that the dynamite would be shipped south to Seattle. If all mining equipment brought high price in the gold country, why was the dynamite being transported south? Further, as there was as much as 15 tons of dynamite on board, why didn't the ship completely disintegrate when the explosive went off? And if dynamite had been the cause of the ship's demise, why was the hole in the Clara Nevada's hull found in the area of the boiler room and not the cargo hole? In March of 1898, the newspaper Dye Trail reported that an investigator at the site, Sanderson Reed, believed that the Clara Nevada had gone aground and that the fire might have occurred when lamps were tipped over spilling fiery kerosene. Reed did notice a large hole in the side of the vessel, but believed that the boiler was intact. He also guessed that the striking of the reef had overturned the lamps and caused conflagrations to erupt in different parts of the vessel, making it impossible for the passengers to fight all of the fires at the same time. This corroborated the testimonies of the Lloyds of London surveyor, who stated categorically there had been no boiler explosion. Interestingly, Reed noted that there had probably been an attempt to lower the lifeboats. This raised another perplexing question. If there were as many as 165 people on board, how was it that only one body was ever found and that body, according to the newspapers, was not even in the immediate vicinity of the Clara Nevada's watery grave? It was found upwind from the ship's final resting point. Adding more mud to the water, in an article that appeared in the Dye Trail in May of 1898, there was the appearance of a lifeboat. A small coastal craft, the Sea Lion, spotted a boat near Seward City, seven miles from Eldred Rock. It sent a crew ashore and found an abandoned craft that was neither a lifeboat nor a sealing boat. There was a life preserver from the Clara Nevada on board, as well as a blanket containing clothing, which a Yukoner would take along with him. Another blanket roll with clothing was found about 60 yards away and close by were the remains of a fire. A careful examination of the newspaper accounts of the Clara Nevada's last trip raised yet another striking question. The lifeboat that was found does not match the description of any lifeboats which were on board. But there was one piece of evidence that burst open the doors of speculation. Comparing the names of the passengers and crew of the Clara Nevada against the 1900 census, there was one clear match, C.H. Lewis. The captain of the Clara Nevada, who had supposedly gone down with his ship, was working as a steamship captain on a brand new steamboat on the Yukon River barely 18 months later. Then there is the question of the Clara Nevada's cargo. According to a number of sources, it was estimated about $165,000, about $17 million in today's money, in untraceable raw gold had gone down in the Clara Nevada. There were a number of published sources for this statement. The first was the February 25th Seattle Times, which estimated the gold at between 900,000 and 120,000. In June, the Seattle Post Intelligencer listed the gold as amounting to $100,000. Another Seattle paper even indicated that one passenger alone was carrying $165,000 with him. Other articles in the Seattle papers listed the amount of gold as high as 300000
It is intriguing that the gold from the Clare, Nevada was never found. Oddly, or perhaps purposely, the Clare, Nevada's finally resting place is in 24 feet of water. Considering that the surrounding waters are 1,500 feet deep, the Clare, Nevada was resting on the very top of a submarine mountain. Would someone bent on stealing 110,000 ounces of gold know exactly where to sink a ship so that he could return to plunder the gold later? Ironically, it was the Clara Nevada in her previous life as the Hassler that had surveyed these waters and perhaps planted the seed of her own destruction. The Clara Nevada is probably America's coldest cold case. It is also the largest robbery in American history, twice the size of the Brinks job, and the largest mass murder in American history until the bombing of the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City in 1995. It is also a grim reminder that getting the gold is not anywhere near as dangerous as getting it home. Thank you very much for listening to me in the mystery of the Clara Nevada. And if you're looking for good stories, I would strongly recommend that you punch up readers and writers book club thank you very much and this is steve levi wishing you a good evening Oh,